Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 33. I'm Francis Rose. I'm Robert Shea. We look in many cases at what's going on at the federal government level. There's an old uh, saying that states are the crucible in which these ideas that are used at the federal level are tested. You know that saying? I don't. I've learned something new. You don't, you've already, never heard that saying already. before? We're like tw- 20 seconds in. You've never heard that saying I before? Haven't, I haven't. I knew they're the laboratories, and that's the— that Maybe that's yeah, what yeah, I was yeah, going yeah, for. It, it either works, but it's true. Is I think the it's a laboratory effect. Um, we haven't talked a lot about states mm-hmm. uh, and local governments, and um, it's uh, impossible— to talk about the federal government operating without the partnership they have with state and local governments. Um, we haven't talked about it enough. The federal government doesn't do nearly enough to improve that relationship. And, We're going to take means. a step toward fixing that today. That's right. Good. As we look at uh, some new research on what's going on in information technology at the state level, why don't you introduce our esteemed guests? Graham Finley from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Uh, is a leader in our state and local practice. Doug Robinson, the longtime president of the National Association of State CIOs. We're delighted to have you both. Thank you very much for coming, gentlemen. It's nice Thank to you. meet both of you. Thank you. Um, Doug, I'll start with you because you've got the survey open already. Um, tell me what your top takeaway two, three are from the work that you've got here. I think first and foremost because of what we're facing uh, in November, 36 gubernatorial elections. Uh, One of our themes is around uh, state CIO transitions, which will take place, Uh, 18 term-limited governors in the states and territories. So we expect at least that many, if not more, uh, to turn. We've already had 12 uh, transitions, 12 departures in 2018 of state CIOs. And so we really wanted to look at the critical success factors of of being a state CIO, roles and responsibilities, dimensions. Uh, Do that now while we had a cadre of state CIOs that were still there, so Mm -hmm. we can then pass on this wisdom coming up in January of 2019 when they begin to be appointed. So that's one key area is critical success factors, both I would call both attributes and characteristics. And so we uh, drilled down with a force choice ranking, uh, asking them uh, from their perspective as a practicing CIO in a tough position, uh, what what are those critical success factors? Interestingly enough, a technologist, which would be the kind of belief of most, um, is number nine out of ten. Mm. Kind of mirrored what we found out in 2015. Uh, number one by a pretty wide margin in that ranking uh, is communicator. And so that's going to be the theme of this report, the state CIO as communicator. But negotiator, facilitator, um, influencer, uh, relationship manager, all those are in the in the top five or six. So it's the soft skills, it's the build kind of people, not systems approach that we've seen. So that's a key theme, you know, coming out of uh, the initial introductory chapters of the report mm-hmm. is focusing on the CIO. I think the second component of that is we ask CIOs, we think this is really some interesting data that we have. Ask CIOs what their aspirational uh, measurements should be as a successful CIO, how should they be evaluated, basically? And then what's reality? How are they evaluated? And again, um, didn't surprise us too much, but the, the delta, the difference in that, and the contrast was pretty significant. So uh, they, they believe that they should be evaluated based on the reduction of risk 
in their sector, not just cyber, but project delivery and, and on budget. So again, risk reduction, cl- closely followed by execution of their strategy. Um, and then program delivery and effectiveness kind of in that order. But really, number one was uh, reducing risk in their environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they're evaluated, how they're actually evaluated, and the reality of that is uh, uh, very high. 75% said we're evaluated by cost effectiveness and cost reduction, Most cost savings being number one, which, again, drives decision-making in a different way. So that's the... You know, the continuing pressure on state CIOs is, uh, given the fiscal conditions, although states are healthy right now, um, their governors and budget officials and other leaders are really always constant pressuring the CIOs to uh, drive more cost savings. Um, and part of the thing, you know, that we're trying to always do the myth-busting around is that in states, IT is a cost center, when in most cases it really isn't. We want to focus on IT as being transformational and delivering uh, better citizen service. So those are highlights from the uh, the first section on on the CIO dimensions. Graham, what were your number one, two, three takeaways from the report? Yeah, well, I think, you know, something we've done consistently uh, over the last several surveys has been to um, consider the changing nature of the role of the CIO, uh, not just the capabilities and, you know, personality characteristics that a CIO needs to have, but also what are they actually expected to do. Mm-hmm. And you think traditionally the CIO has been viewed as the, you know, the, the custodian of the technology infrastructure for a state and the direct provider of services to state agency customers. Increasingly, they've become more of a broker of services where they are sourcing, whether it's from the private sector or the public sector, the best types of services for their customers. And that's, I'd say that's almost a universal characteristic of Mm -hmm. the state CIO now. So the role has changed, the demands on the CIO have changed, as well as the demands on their staff, because it takes different kinds of people to do that kind of work. And then the other thing we've seen is, I think, an evolution and an experimentation in the ways that uh, CIOs are helping to drive modernization of technology. Um, across the states. So it includes, you know, we've seen the shift to agile and incremental software development. And I think, you know, the federal government's been a little bit in the lead and, you know, has been helping to push some of that down into the states. Similarly, and this is something we looked at at this survey in particular, around legacy modernization and funding and the, the drive to modular acquisition, modular contracting. And that's something that I you know, a majority of states are either actively pursuing um, or are looking at very seriously. You know, and federal funding tends to influence that a lot, as you might expect. And then finally, I think the uh, the emerging technologies that are becoming more prevalent or of more interest, and that's something we saw, I think, a significant shift just in the last survey. We mm-hmm. asked last year, we've asked for the last couple of years, CIOs to, to rank what they think the top five emerging technologies would be. And you know, last year, I think uh, IoT, uh, Internet of Things, was the one that w- was the top ranked. This year, it was a big turnaround, and it was uh, probably not a surprise, machine learning, or, uh, robotic process automation, uh, artificial intelligence are by far the, you know, the most significantly one uh, ranked. And it's, it's one that we see a lot of activity in. People are trying to figure out still what to do with it and where the application is, but the, they definitely see a big impact coming from it. Mm-hmm. So y- you talked a little bit about this neat way of asking about the as-is, how are folks... Uh, assessed today and how do they want to be assessed in the future can you talk more about that what you learned i think what we've learned is there's a uh, we've got a continuing education process to kind of marry up what graham discussed which is the the movement from the owner operator infrastructure plumber 
role of the state CIO to the business leader of IT and transformational and innovation. Clearly, we have CIOs that are in that space, but the common view from other elected officials, their governor, their legislators, is that the fact that they should be driven by you know, how much they save and the cost of it. That's clearly got to be a component of that, efficiency and effectiveness. But what we learned is that there's still a pretty big gap there in terms of the understanding where where they're going. And I think the we use, we've used the phrase for years, the owner-operator model, as, as Graham said, is kind of devolving into one of the CIO or, as broker. And so we've been tracking for years that's the data. We have the evidence around that. And if you go back 10 years and ask the CIOs what were going to be their, their kind of strategic issues, how, how are they going to operationalize uh, their, their strategy within the organization? It was predominantly hire more IT staff, build larger, build new infrastructure, build new data centers, renovate existing data centers. It's, it's completely the inverse today. Those are the, at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Now it's outsource, look at managed services, look at shared services. Uh, 50 plus percent, 52 percent said they're going to downsize their data centers. They're going to outsource. Um, only, I think, less than a quarter of them said increase IT staff. Uh, we, we haven't seen that at all. And so, again, I think those are just essentially artifacts of what we're seeing in this shift from owner-operator to CIO as broker. Uh, and we see that played out you know, with the states already today. We see lots of, lots of news items of how states are crafting new uh, relationships with their private sector solution t- partners to, to do that. We've been proud to do this with uh, NASIO for a long time. This is the ninth uh, edition? Yes, the ninth. ninth. And so you all have talked to a lot of CIOs. Who's got this figured out? Well, who are the models among who you've talked to? If It's like asking who your favorite kid is probably, but... As a member organization, Robert, I do not, I do not rate or I do not rate or rank uh, that. And, and this this survey uh, is confidential, uh, so we only provide aggregate data. But there's clear. I mean, if you, all you have to do is look at the uh, the IT public sector media outlets to see. Uh, and I, I'll highlight one since it was just in the news this week is Commonwealth of Virginia, who has now moved to, you know, what we would describe as a multi-sourcing initiative. Uh, Georgia's in that already; has been for many years. Texas is in that space, so they already moved. Texas is is moving toward that model. Uh, uh, Oklahoma has been in a unified model, but certainly Georgia is one where they've outsourced their infrastructure networking. Sounds like the South is leading the way. For for many years. So we're going to see more of that as states. So you've got this challenge with the, um, you know, as we describe and have the shift from the CapEx to OpEx model for the states. They don't have capital. So they're looking to figure out how they get this in their operating streams. They get the operating budget, but uh, it's it's an evolutionary shift. It's not going to happen overnight because you have incumbent, you know, state folks. You have incumbent providers, uh, but you also have the pressure uh, from the IT workforce. Retirement difficult to recruit, difficult to retain. So we'll see that continuing shift with uh, with states, which can be. It creates some consternation on the part of state employees and state leaders, but they've got to deliver the services, and they've got to do it in an effective, and most importantly, have to do it in a secure way. And so that's clearly, you know, reducing the risk is critical. Graham, do you see a model? That, yeah. that well, I think the, the point I would make is that there really can't be a single model 
that works for every state because the states themselves are so different, you know, both in terms of the political environment with the state that makes a difference. Cultural. Uh, cultural, <laughs> as well as just simply the size. You right. know, what will work for a California probably wouldn't work for a Maine, for example. And just the level of investment and, you know, the population and, you know, the demographics associated with the state makes a big difference. Mm. And so, you know, that you use this term, you know, the, this idea of, you know, a laboratory of democracy for the states. It's similar ideas. Right that the states are acting as laboratories for different ideas of operating models for how to run a technology organization, and different models run better for different types of organizations. You mean laboratories? I didn't mean to do yeah. <laughs> I say Not crucibles. Some dummy <laughs> said at the beginning <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Idiot. I would say if you've seen one state, you've seen one state. So yeah. you have to be careful about, about you know, generalizing. But there's a, we, we, see, we see the general themes and directions and have from the longitudinal data because in some cases we've been asking the same questions year over year to get that pattern, and we see the the shift, so that's uh, it, it's I guess enlightening for us because we have a, we have a lot of evidence, a lot of data to point to. The way that uh, these leaders are kind of reinventing themselves and and their skill sets are changing. You talked about all of the soft skills that they see themselves as having to become proficient at. That's the part of this that I think is the most interesting to me because that is requiring them to really assess themselves about things that don't have a whole lot to do with technology or their background or training or experience. Am I on the right track, do you think? You, you are, Francis, to an extent, I think the, you know, since I guess we have to go back in terms of baseline. So all of the CIOs, states and territories are appointed by their governor. They're all appointees. Uh, the challenge there is is early on in administration, helping them to choose wisely because I think Consistently, they're still their their belief today is they need a CIO who knows a lot about technology and a lot about computers. And so, if you if you would ask them today, if I would ask a uh, you know a rising chief of staff that question, that's what they'd advise their governor. So I think this helps us. This is this great piece of research helps to to kind of uh, you know kind of bust that myth to a degree. H having a technology background would be extremely helpful. But you're right. That's that's they have to come into that role uh, a, a large percentage of our new state CIOs that will come in in 2019 will come from the private sector. So, so we're fed heads. Right. We, we talk a lot about the federal government and right. we've talked about how y'all can, the, the state CIOs are a great uh, test bed for things that could work at the federal level. What about the... Crucible, I think, is what the term that <laughs> describes that best. I agree. I agree. Thanks. Uh, so we can move on. The CIOs um, would, would agree that they're in a crucible. It, yeah, I bet. It, it, it's, so, hot. it's hot every day. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> yeah. Talk, talk about the plenty of money flowing down from the federal government to the states, including investments in IT. But what impact does that relation have on the role of the CIO for the most part? Well, I would say there's, there is a lot of money flowing down, but you know, the, the ability to use that to invest in new models for technology is not necessarily the same because, you know, it, it's programmatic money right. in a large case. And obviously you've got, you know, 90-10 match and so on for some of the programs where they're doing modernization. And the, the agenda that the federal government sets in terms of, you know, they're providing the money and they set some expectations about how it's going to be used, that has a, that has a significant impact. You know, the role of the CIO 
in how those dollars are applied varies again state by state because the, the amount of centralization versus you know federalization within a state is also very different and so that again you have some CAOs that have a great deal of imp uh, authority and impact over how uh, modernization is planned and how those dollars uh, are used you have others that do not they have policy roles but they don't necessarily have authority even though of course they're always held accountable for mm -hmm. the results regardless mm -hmm. the CIOs don't receive any of those federal dollars directly so it's all on the pass-through so uh, almost all CIO organizations run chargeback internal service organizations and so the federal dollars they receive are passed through as Graham said from the programmatic side so they're getting X dollars from uh, the Department of Health and Human Services to do X and so they're they're constrained unless there's a directive to be innovative uh, the CIO really has to take that on and see how they can kind of squeeze those dollars into some of those more innovative approaches to service delivery and, and just infrastructure deployment. We're almost out of time. Was there something in this year's survey that surprised you? When you read through the results, you went, I wasn't expecting that at all. I think a couple, I think, Graham mentioned the AI. Uh, we saw a big shift in, in, in one year, a big shift uh, from the interest in AI machine. As, as asking the question, what's the most impactful emerging technology in the next two, three years? We ask a lot of leading indicator questions, and that jumped up to 59% of them, or 58% said the AI. So the, the, they've obviously in a year um, caught on to the fact that particularly things like robotic process automation, automating, uh, just the you know, government at all levels are process-driven beasts, and so I think that's what they see as great opportunities. I think the other one, which is, a again, a, a, a second year we've asked this question, but significant growth, uh, I think somewhat surprising simply because it's it's kind of the iconic vision of what a state CIO does is run your mainframe. And I think the data uh, is very interesting in, in, in that 18% are essentially uh, nine states. We should mention all 50 state CIOs responded to the survey, so pretty remarkable response rate. Uh, nine states indicated, uh, and we knew some of this, they, they're, they, they're already running mainframe as a service off-premise, meaning the state mainframe is in another state being run by a third-party private sector provider. Sixty percent of the rest said we're either planning to do it soon or we're, we're studying it right now. So it's a fairly large cohort of states within, you know, I would say more than three-quarters of the states in the next two, three years, their mainframe will be an off-premise or a managed service environment, which is, again, thinking about the 40, the, the decades, the 40 years of, of states, that's pretty surprising is that the, uh, I think that the, the main image of states that they run mainframes will now be out of, they'll be out of that business, and applications will still run, but won't be done by the state CIO or state agencies. Hmm. Graham, uh, anything in this that made you say, wow, wasn't expecting to see that? Um, I don't know about a, necessarily a surprise, but something I'll be interested to track in the following years, because again, we do have a number of these uh, longitudinal questions. This is the first year that we, we've asked a question about the adoption of technology business management. Uh, was a set of principles around you know managing the business of IT, mm -hmm. and clearly this is something that's you know got a lot of attention at the federal level, um, less so at the state level at this point. I think some people have heard about it. There are a few people that are exploring it, but at least half uh, of the states really don't have any plans in, in pursuing mm. uh, TBM uh, as an initiative right now. I would expect that to change next year, but it's something we're going to be watching closely. What do you think will drive that change? 
I think probably just a recognition um, of the way that these kind of practices can improve the management of the business. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. Congratulations on bringing this out for the ninth year in a row. And it's great to have uh, both of you join us. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Nice to see you as always, my fellow Fedhead. Good to see you. Can't wait for next time. All right. We'll start a crucible or something. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Fedheads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.